Welcome to this set of tapes on what we Catholics believe. My name is Daphne MacLeod and I decided to make these tapes because it seems to me that the faith is not being passed on to the next generation, in this country anyway, as well as it used to be and as well as it should be if we want the church to survive. The only way the church has lasted for 2,000 years is because the set of truths revealed to us by Christ have been carefully cherished and given to each succeeding generation. And when I was born, I was lucky enough to be taught the faith in that way. In school first and then in Catholic training college where we not only learnt the faith, but we learnt how to explain it to the children we were going to teach. And that's quite important, because you're trying to put into words mysteries that are really beyond words. And any tips we can pick up from people who've been practising this in the previous generations are helpful. So I'm going to give you the tips I've picked up then and also the fruits of the experience I've had while I was teaching daily in Catholic primary schools for 40 years and since I retired for the last 12 or 13 years in the parish. I hope this will help you to teach your children or the children in your school or anybody you come in contact with and explain to them exactly what we Catholics believe about various things. <clears throat> now the people you'll be teaching will obviously be all different ages. So I can't vary the ages that I'm speaking to. I will speak to adults. And you will adjust it to your hearers. And you'll find you do it quite naturally and easily. Because we're doing this all the time in ordinary conversation. But one plea I would make, don't underestimate children. Even young children are capable of understanding a great deal about the faith, a surprising amount, if it's taught to them properly. Professor Jerome Bruner, a very famous child educational psychologist, said anything can be taught to any child at any age providing it has been sufficiently well thought through by the teacher. So as long as you really understand and love the sacred truths you're communicating, you will succeed. A set of words that mean nothing to you will cut no ice at all. But if you really love your faith and you live it, and you understand it as well as you can, you're qualified to teach it. So, where should we start? I think there's no question we must start with Almighty God himself. I remember Canon Francis Ripley, great teacher and catechist, saying to me before he died, but he thought young people were leaving the church because they weren't taught enough about Almighty God and how wonderful he is. So that's where we'll begin. 
Yes, I know this is a great mystery. And I'm not trying to say that I can tell you all about God and I will explain what he's like to you. Of course I can't. Nobody can. But I can tell you something about him. And I can tell you how to explain it to your children. And that brings you closer to God, even though you're a long way still from understanding him completely. We're going to be dealing with mysteries a great deal, but none bigger than this. But I remember Frank Sheets saying, a mystery is not a brick wall that brings you up short. A mystery is more like a dark tunnel that you can explore. And after a while you can perhaps make out certain things. So we'll explore this mystery a little. One of the main things we're going to have to get clear is that God is quite different from us. He is not just an extra clever, rather old human being. No way. He's a different class of being completely. And that's why he can do things that we can't do, can't even begin to do. That's something you're going to have to come back to time and again. God is different. Don't expect him or think of him the same as us. Now, a good place to start talking about any doctrine is the little penny catechism. And when we look at question 17 there, it says, what is God? And the answer says, God is the supreme spirit who alone exists of himself and is infinite in all perfections. Now, that's a beautiful answer. In two lines. It tells us what we know and need to know about God. And of course it corrects the way the question is asked. Not a question of what is God, who is God. He's the supreme spirit who alone exists of himself and is infinite in all perfections. Now it says it all, but it needs unpacking. There's a great deal in there. This is what we used to do in the religious lessons in the old days. We would teach the answer that was in the catechism and we would unpack it for the children we were teaching according to their ability and their age. And then they would learn the answer but they would know what it meant. Most religious education today teaches that God is the creator which is good, that's a good way in. But it stops there. We don't get any of the attributes of God. And that's a great pity. I hope we can go a little further. But I would begin with create. And I would explain what the word create means. And it's not just make. Create means that you can make things out of nothing. It's very important to explain the words you're using. Because everybody needs a good vocabulary in their religion. If they're going to think about it at all. We think in words. If you're not given the words, well, your thinking is going to be hampered. But they've got to be words you understand, of course. So use create and explain it. And immediately you can see that God is different from us here. We can't create. We want to make something. We have to have something given to us to make it from. God can make it from nothing. 
And I would start with the world around us that everyone can see, even little children. Can appreciate a beautiful flower or a tree or a beautiful sunset. And you can say to them, yes, God made that. We can say a little prayer thanking him for it because it's given us so much pleasure. And that's a good way into prayer too. <clears throat> but with older children, you can talk about some of the new discoveries that confirm our belief that God has made us in an intelligent, thoughtful way. For instance, the astrophysicist Dr. Gonzalez, a fellow of the Discovery Institute at Seattle, has developed what he calls a rare earth hypothesis in which he's collected a lot of data that shows there are so many amazing coincidences that make life on this planet possible that it couldn't have happened by chance. For instance, the sun is not just the right distance from the earth to give us enough heat but not too much. We've known that for a long time. But it's also one of the few suns that's massive enough to keep our temperature constant. And we need that as human beings. Well, all life on this planet needs a constant temperature. Now, there aren't other suns that do that. Jupiter is another example. It's an exceptionally large planet. And it's only because it is so large that the solar system is kept stable. And it also deflects comets from the Earth, both of which we need for life on this planet. He's collected a lot more data. And all this shouts at us. This is a deliberate creation by an intelligent being. Now, I'm not trying to prove the existence of God, because I assume already that you're believers. But I do think it helps to give your young people some ammunition to use with anyone who challenges their belief in God. Show them it's not unreasonable. In fact, it's far more reasonable than believing in chance. And the beauties of creation, of course, show us it's a God who's not just intelligent, but appreciates and loves beauty. And as I say, both these considerations lead us to prayer. But to get back to the Catechism, our answer starts off, God is the, the Supreme Spirit. Now that shows there can only be one God. You can only have one Supreme Being. You can't have two or more. And I think that needs to be explained and taught. Because there is confusion today. I take a group of 14-year-olds for their confirmation. By then they've been in Catholic school for 10 years or so. But I find some of them believe there are several gods. As one boy put it to me, there's the god of the Hindus, the god of the Muslims, and there's our god, but he's the best one. So I explain that you can't, by definition, have more than one god, only one supreme spirit. We are not talking about several gods. We're talking about a unique being, the god. Later on, when we get on to him being infinite, it makes it more clear. So God is the Supreme Spirit. 
Spirit needs a bit of explanation. In fact, spirit is quite difficult. But it's worth the effort it needs to explain because it does help people to realise that God is there with them, though they can't see him. They realise how close he is. You've got to show that spirit is something real. I remember when we were being trained to teach, we used to give practice lessons to the rest of our class. It sometimes led to a lot of hilarity and trouble, but I remember one girl had been asked to prepare a lesson on spirit, which she'd done very carefully, and she got up and she said, well, with a spirit, you can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't smell it, you can't touch it, and she went on with all these negatives, until the lecturer interrupted her and said, you have just given the best definition of nothing that I have ever heard. Now that was wrong. A spirit is not nothing. It's true you can't see it or touch it, but it's certainly very real. God is a real living, thinking being. But he doesn't have a physical body that you can see or touch. I think a good thing is to compare it with something the children have experience of that is spiritual. For instance, I would say to a class, does your mother love you? And they would all grin broadly and say, yes, of course, they're very happy about it. Their mother loved them. Good, I'd say. Now, when you go home this afternoon, ask your mother to take the love out of the drawer she keeps it on, in, or wherever it is, and show it to you. And they'd laugh and say, of course, she can't do that. You can't see it. I'd say, no, that's right, you can't. But it's real, all right. If she didn't love you, you wouldn't be so happy, you wouldn't be so well looked after. But you can't see it because it's spiritual. So we can have spiritual things that are real. And with God we have a spiritual being who is certainly very real. But you can't see him. So God is the supreme spirit who alone exists of himself. Now that is the key to God's nature. So that needs quite a lot of time spent on it. God alone is the only one who exists of himself. He's the only one that nobody made. He couldn't have a maker who would be greater than God. His very essence is to exist, is necessary to him to exist. And he exists without any limitations. So he had no beginning. And he will have no end. He's eternal. There's a mystery for you. You can't imagine it. That's what you, we really mean when we say it's a mystery. You can't imagine that. But you can know it. And I think it probably helps to remember that if there ever been a time when God didn't exist, then we would have had nothing ever. Nothing comes from nothing. He had to always exist. It's necessary. But you won't be able to picture it. So God has always existed. No beginning, no end. And this is really how he wants us to think about him. As existence. Because this is how he introduced himself to us in the Old Testament. You will remember in the third chapter of Exodus there's a description of Moses watching his father-in-law's sheep on the hillside 
Now Moses had escaped from Egypt. He was in trouble for killing a man. And he'd hidden far away in the mountains. And he'd married. And he was given the job of minding his father-in-law's sheep. And as far as he was concerned, that's how he was going to spend the rest of his life. With his wife and his family, well away from Egypt. But while he was on the hillside, minding his sheep, he saw over in the distance, on another hillside, a bush that was on fire. And as he watched it, he was surprised to see that although it was burning and burning, it wasn't being consumed by the fire. It was still there with the fire in it for a long while. And he thought, now that's a very strange thing. I'm going to go over and have a look at it. He left his sheep and he walked over to the other hillside. And as he got close to the bush, a voice called out from it. Stop, Moses. Stay where you are. And take off your shoes. So Moses stopped and he took off his shoes. And the voice told him, you are standing on holy ground and revealed to him that this was the voice of God. And God told him, of course, that he had work for him to do, that he wanted him to go back to Egypt, speak to Pharaoh, get the Jews released, and lead them to the Holy Land. Moses was very reluctant, but God gave him no choice and promised to help him. So in the end he agreed to go, but he said, uh, do tell me who you are, because they will ask me, who sent you? Give me your name. And the voice of God said, I am who am. Now that is a strange name. But he gave that name because it explains his nature. He is existence itself. It's his essence, his being to exist. And Moses repeated the name and learnt it. And that's the name he used to Pharaoh. And that's the name he gave the Jews, which they venerated all down their history. I am who am. It must have been as mysterious to them as it is to us. But they accepted it. Now there's an echo of this in the New Testament. In the 8th chapter of St. John's Gospel, when the Pharisees were taunting our Lord, and he said to them, you should be glad to see the works I'm doing and hear the teaching I'm giving. Abraham saw it and was glad. And they laughed at him and said, what do you mean? You're not yet 50 years old. And Abraham has been dead for centuries. And Jesus replied, Before Abraham was made, I am. And they knew then that he was claiming to be God because he was saying the name of God, which they would hesitate to use. They were so shocked at what seemed like blasphemy to them, they took up stones to throw at him and stone him to death. But because his time had not yet come, he used his divine power and hid himself from them and escaped. 
So God is the supreme spirit who alone exists of himself and is infinite in all his perfections. Now, if he's infinite in all his qualities, his power and all his other qualities, there's no room for another God. This is a further proof that there can only be one God. If he was had to make room, as it were, for another God, he would be limited. His power would stretch so far, but not into that other God's territory. But his power is not limited in any way. He's absolutely infinite. There is no other being he has to contend with. Infinite in all his perfections. And that's a tremendous thing to say. This is what makes him so lovable. Such a wonderful God, such a great God. So well worth our devoting our lives to learning to know, love and serve him. And it makes him so worthwhile knowing in heaven. Something to look forward to. He's infinitely powerful. Almighty. Omnipotent is the technical term. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he even finds difficult. He can do anything. Just by his word. That's one of his powers. He's everywhere. Omnipresent is the technical term. There's nowhere that God isn't present. He's here in this room with me now. He's with you wherever you're listening. He's out of space. He's everywhere you can think of. That's quite a difficult concept to get across. Uh, I think it's helpful to tell them some of the two examples that Monsignor Alfred Gilby gives in his lovely book, We Believe. He says, God's presence everywhere is a little bit like this. If you're in a room on a sunny day, but the curtains are drawn closed, and you decide to draw them back, the room will instantly be flooded with sunshine. You would say that sunshine is everywhere, in every corner, everywhere. That's how God is. In the universe and beyond, he's everywhere. Or another instance he gives, and I think this one is even better. He says, just imagine a great ocean, which is full of fish and crabs and whales and plants and rocks, all sorts of things. And they're all living in the ocean. So the ocean is all around them. That's how God is with us. He's all around us. He's that close to us all the time. St. Paul put that across too. He said, in him we live and move and have our being. We're all living in this great ocean which is God. It's not a perfect simile, none of these are, but it helps. So God is everywhere. God knows everything. Omniscient is a term again. There's nothing he doesn't know. He knows everything we say. He even knows everything we think. Things that we don't tell to anybody else. He knows them, because he knows us that well. 
Now I think when you put that to children or young people, it's important to link it to prayer. It's because God knows exactly what we think that we can turn to him in prayer anytime, anywhere, and think about him. And he knows we're thinking about him, so we're praying, we're getting through, we're communicating. This closeness brings prayer very close to us. I think when you're teaching the faith, you will often find times where you want to stop and pray. Because these truths are so inspiring, so holy. They lead us to prayer. Well, if that happens, always stop. Always pray. Even if it's just for a minute. Because knowing all this is no good without prayer. It's only because it's leading you to prayer that you're learning it. And certainly the idea that God knows what we think should lead us to prayer. And also the next attribute, God is infinitely loving. That means he loves us, each one of us, with no limitations at all. He even loves us when we turn away from him and we do things he doesn't like. He doesn't like what we do, perhaps, but he still loves us. He's hoping and waiting for us to return, and he's ready to welcome and forgive us when we do. And he loves each of us individually. Now that's shown by the fact that he has called us into existence. There was a time when each of us did not exist, and the world managed quite well without us. We didn't have to exist. God wanted us to. He liked the idea of us. Well, he loved the idea of us so much that he deliberately called us into existence. He wanted us to be his friends. Now, while we're on earth, and of course, eventually, in his home in heaven. And that which is true of us, of course, is true of every other human being on this planet. They've all been called into existence by Almighty God because he wanted them. And that's the basis of our love for our neighbour. If each person is so precious to God, and we love God, then we treat his friends well. We love them. And this, of course, is, as I said, a great basis for our response to his love by loving him back. And that means telling him we love him. Encourage the children to say little prayers of love, made up prayers, and prayers that you teach them. To thank him for his great glory and his attributes. One prayer we used to teach, an old-fashioned prayer, but you can explain what the old words mean, and I think it's worth keeping them because they help it to rhyme, and children like things that rhyme. It says, Dearest Lord, I love thee. With my whole, whole heart. Not just for what thou givest, but for what thou art. Now I think that's a good concept to instill into children. We don't just love God for the things he gives us. He's not just a Father Christmas. Of course we thank him for his great gifts. And they are great. But we love him really for what he is. For his goodness. Because he's so understanding and compassionate. Because of his fidelity. 
because we know we can trust him. For all the wonderful qualities we seek in people here on earth that we want to make friends with or to love, he has them all to perfection. In fact, we'll only find them in perfection in God. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are going to be restless until they rest in God. God is also the life giver. He creates life, something we can't do. He does allow human parents the great privilege of cooperating with him in procreating human beings who will live forever. He's infinitely just and infinitely merciful. And these don't contradict each other. Do you think about good parents who are just and fair with their children and at the same time merciful? They can work the two together and of course so can God. This is not all God's attributes, but it's some of them. And of course I haven't touched on one of the most important truths about God and one that really underlines his difference from us. And that's the Blessed Trinity. But I think there is so much to say about that that it needs a tape on its own. And I'll deal with that later. But I do hope I've said enough to show why we respond to God with love. And also why the more we know about him, the more we are inspired to love him. Because the whole purpose of life on this planet is to build up a relationship with God, which will continue forever in heaven. And this relationship, like all others, like the ones we have with human beings, is built up by getting to know him, by talking to him in prayer, by thinking about him in meditation. And, of course, by serving him. Now, as I say, prayer is very important, and we will have a tape on prayer. But I also want to do some, a form of prayer all the way through the tapes, and that form is the Holy Rosary, because that is such an important prayer. The prayer that was given to us by Our Lady herself, to St. Dominic in the 12th century. And it's a prayer that she is recommending us to say with all her apparitions. She pleads with us to say the Rosary. And so we're going to say the Rosary. We're going to say one mystery each tape for the next 15 tapes. And that just fits in because there are 15 mysteries. So with this tape, I shall just say the prayers are the beginning of the Rosary. Now I know some people are reluctant to say the Rosary. And I can understand it because it isn't an easy prayer. But like anything that's not easy, it does get easier with practice. It's a beautiful prayer because it leads us to meditate on the, all the important aspects of our Lord's life. And if we don't meditate on them and make them our own, then we're not really fulfilling what we should be doing. We're not getting to know God how we should. So the rosary is important. And I would ask you to say it with me and then to persevere saying it on your own afterwards. I remember a friend of mine I met in the 50s who had been a Methodist minister all his working life and had then become a Catholic told me that he'd first thought of becoming a Catholic during the war when he was an army chaplain. 
and it was because he'd met so many good Catholics who set good examples that impressed him. But although he was thinking about joining the church, he was very reluctant. It meant giving up his livelihood, for one thing. It also meant alienating his wife, who couldn't see any point in changing religions, and he would much rather have stayed on as a Methodist. But because he was a good man, and his conscience was troubling him, he did give it a lot of thought. And in the end, he decided he would do an experiment. He would try saying the rosary. He didn't like the rosary. He thought it was a very difficult prayer. It didn't attract him at all. But he would say a rosary every night before he went to sleep. And by the end of a year, he thought, he would know which way to go. So he started saying the rosary. Yes, he found it difficult. But he persevered. And of course, the more he said it, the easier it got. Until he got to a stage where he loved saying it. And he said to me, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. And, of course, he got to a stage where he realised there was no question. He had to become a Catholic. He found himself a job in a second-hand bookshop, which wasn't very well paid, unfortunately. And it did lead to a rift with his wife. But he was doing what his conscience told him he should do. And he's dead now, and I'm sure he's reaping his reward. So we're going to persevere with the rosary. We have put a rosary in with this packet and also a leaflet explaining it, which you can show to anyone you're teaching who doesn't know about the rosary. I hope you will pick up the beads and say it with me each time I say the rosary. Now today we're going to say the, be the beads at the beginning of the rosary, the crucifix and the few beads that lead into the main rosary. The prayers that you say when you're starting the rosary. And the first one that we say holding the crucifix is the Apostles' Creed, the most ancient of creeds, which covers just briefly what Catholics believe. So it's very suitable for this set of tapes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now we say the prayers for our Holy Father the Pope. And the first prayer is the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Next three beads we say the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. 
Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the last bead we say the glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now the prayer that the children at Fatima were taught to say. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins and save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much for listening to this tape with me. I hope you will go on to listen to the next tape, which should be a bit easier to understand, because it's about ourselves. May God bless you all.